0: Welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive treasures is produced on Jaja Warong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. In this episode, we have the second recording of Pigtails made on the 3rd of September 2010. At the pig and whistle. This time we have Mario Satori and Bill O'Connell, and as you will hear, they were straight out of the gate, off and running with stories to tell.
1: The lovely bloke, Joe. a uh, couple of weeks before he died, when he went in and got his eyes taken out, when he uh, okay. just let he, it go. he just hit me one day. He was only one Friday night, and he says, "They tell me you can find mushrooms." I said, dear yeah, mate, plenty of mushrooms around. He said, uh, do you think we can go mushrooming tomorrow? And I said, if you want to go mushrooming. mushroom, and I said, what time? He said, eleven o'clock at your place. So I got up early and I thought I'd just go for a walk and see if I can find some mushrooms. And I found two big boxes of them. Eleven o'clock Joe turns up. Good-day. I said, good-day Joe. I said, I got your mushrooms. He said, I didn't say he said I didn't say that I wanted mushrooms. I said I wanted to pick mushrooms because it's probably the last time I'll ever do it. So we went down the paddock again, picked mushrooms, and he went into hospital. They took his right leg off, mm. then his left foot, and uh, yeah, but he didn't want mushrooms. No. He just wanted to pick mushrooms. Yeah. So he sat in the front room till about six that night, and we come down here. Oh.
2: <laughs> Who was this, Joe? It's Joe Riccardi. Yeah, we mentioned the Riccardi's got to mention last week.
1: Uh, Joe Joe was a funny man. He was uh, he was in the barry one night, and Hockley ran out of milk, and this Chris O'Connell. Who was one of the local characters, he was drinking Scotch and milk. So Hockley had no milk. So Chris is going off his brain, so next minute, Ricardi's back. She walked home, got the dairy cow, pulled her straight in the front bar and milked her. In the front bar so Chris could have milk with his whiskey. Well, they put
3: Skidry up on a horse one night. They got a horse in here and yep. put Skidry Canaan up on the horse. <laughs>
2: We've made a start here, which is excellent. But I'm going to. I want to go back a bit because what what I did last week and what I want to do again is get a little bit about the two of you before we launch into the stories. But oh. after that, what you've just been doing is exactly what we want. So <coughs> can I start with you, Bill? And I heard you tell Mario your age just a minute ago. But if you can repeat just how old you are and a little bit about your background here, including, <coughs> and I'll I'll come back to yeah. this.
3: Uh, I was born in 1938, which makes just before the war or just when the war started. And, and uh, that makes me 72 today.
1: You're being born, started the war. Bigger pun. You're being born, started the oh. war. <laughs> 38, 39.
3: <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, everybody around here is pretty poor, really. They were rich in spirit, but uh, uh, probably poor in material goods, and everybody had to battle. There was no, no electricity. And, the roads weren't sealed. Uh, obviously, there was no electrical gadgets that would make life easier for the women around. They had to work really hard. Quite often, they milked a few cows. And um, I used to walk down from up there at Anger King Cage where we lived at the time. Uh, Isidore Hart's place, it used to be. And we were renting that. And... Uh, I used to work down to the school to do strength and here every day and back at night, which you was... at the church in Jasper? Yeah. And it wasn't an easy... There was a school alongside the church. Yeah. It wasn't an easy walk because uh, it used to take a long time for little legs and we always wishing for a bike, but that never come for a few years afterwards. And uh, it was quite hazardous walking down to school because there was a big family named the Canans and they were the... Um, Uh, You know, they were the makers and shakers as far as the school kids went. They had about five in the family and going to school and and they dominated the scene. (coughs) Oh, their father used to work. He was a a snake charmer at the zoo and he lived up here. And just digressing for a moment, we had a small block of land opposite the mill. Uh, Not the one directly opposite the mill, the one down where the two gay fellas live.
0: Yeah.
1: You mean up in the settlement? Yep.
3: Yeah. And
1: uh, you know where they referred the settlement as? Yeah, yeah. Up towards your place? Yeah.
3: yeah. And anyhow, he um, had a couple of cows up there and he used to go up and draw wel- water out of the well, which necessitated putting a chain on a bucket and lifting it up. And he'd fill up this old bath and then he'd ride the bike back home. And, and when he went back the next week, there'd be no water out of it at all the cows had never obviously never had a drink and he thought that's funny why they wouldn't drink any of this water so he filled it up the next time and he waited around a discreet distance and he watched and uh, Mrs Canan used to come over with the washing and she used to put put (laughs) Detergent. (laughs) detergent and that in the water so the cows wouldn't drink it then so he thought what am I to do he says, because uh, this was a problem, you know, it was no good at going to her because she wouldn't take any notes. So he got some w- stuff that made the water hard so you couldn't lather it. So he put that in and that bucket a washing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So after that, like I l- went down there for six years and, uh, and I went to the Morris brothers in Kyneton for another three years where we boarded, which seems strange today. But there were no buses. It was a long way. Mm. Yeah, so we used to go in on a Monday morning and stay there at the uh, college for the week. I think it was um, very cheap. I'm not sure. It might have been about £11 a term. That was for meals and, and bed. Doesn't sound much, does it? No. Another two bob for sport. No. Uh, so then uh, that went on for quite a while until I... Finished there and then I went, worked about a year on the farm and uh, there wasn't really enough work for a young bloke, you know, it wasn't a great outlook. So uh, my mother was very keen to get me out of that uh, syndrome. She you said she used to say, you'll always be the boy Friday running around here after <laughs> all these old blokes. How many of you in the family were there? Uh, there was three, but they both did, my sisters, yeah. yeah. And... Um, one had uh, cerebral palsy when she was young and the other one died only a few years ago. And then uh, I went to Melbourne and uh, I wanted to be a carpenter, but anyhow, they had all the spaces were taken up for a carpenter, so I um, thought, well, I'll take Sailmaker. So I took Sailmaker, which was quite a, uh, interesting. A sailmaker in the railways doesn't sound... Where did you get tied up with me cousin Aldo? At the railways? Yeah.
1: All right, yeah.
3: Yeah, that was Mario's cousin, but I didn't know he was... I didn't even know Mario when I knew Aldo. Yeah. He come from Montthag, you know, down the, the mines. And uh, <laughs> anyhow, I stayed there for about six years and then they were getting a bit tired up here, so I've come back under certain conditions. And uh, then I thought I'd only stay for five years and I st- finished up about... Uh, 50 years. <laughs> so I'm still here and I, don't, I look like Aaron out in the box as the say this.
2: Right. I want to come back in a minute to the, hit the family's history with this place, with the pig and whistle. Yeah. But let's just get Mario's, um, well, age first and background in the area.
1: Well, for another six weeks, I'm 66. Mm-hmm. In six weeks' time, I'll have to claim to uh, 67. But no, we, um, we ran a transport company in Melbourne for, uh, since 1970. Uh, we carted a lot of the spuds that were grown in this area. And we liked the area, so we bought uh, Canberra, which is on the east corner of the block, directly opposite the Pig & Whistle. We built a new house there. Uh, loved the area, fed it in really good. Um, my backdoor back neighbour was Greg O'Connell. He owned the Long Paddock, what was that, about 28, 29 acres?
3: Yeah,
1: 28, I think. 28, in the long paddock. So um, I asked Greg for 10 years, would he sell me the long paddock? And he said, no, no, no. So um, we bought a place down towards Kiton, a bigger place. And uh, Greg came in and said, "Uh, what's this? I hear you're leaving. I said, yes, Gregory. He said, why? I said, well, mate, I can't buy any more land around here. He said, why don't you buy the long paddock? I said, I've been trying to buy it off you for 10 years. And he said, but I didn't know you were serious. <laughs> so whilst we walked, went back towards Kytan, towards Tilden, uh, we don't know many people in Tilden or Kiton. All our friendship is out here. Mm. Um, uh, this is a little corner that God forgot about. There's still good people here. There's a million stories we could tell about um, people that needed help, that have been helped, and nobody have an idea why they've been helped. Mm. Like uh, a recent experience is... Um, young bloke at uh, Tilden. He's a second lieutenant in the um, in the CFA. Uh, great, great bloke. Uh, suffered a heart attack uh, last Monday night. Got five kids under eight. Oh, that's good. <coughs> we run a little fellowship uh, at the Pig & Whistle, which consists of people giving us donations, or uh, we have a meat raffle every Friday night, and all that money goes into a kitty for emergencies. Well, as soon as we heard, uh, we filled his freezer with food and we gave him $300 to pay out-of-pocket expenses and we'll have a look at it again in a, bit in a couple of weeks and if he needs a bit more help, we'll do it. So, mm. you know, and it's an area where people help people, not to uh, claim any, uh, you know, oh, we helped him. Nobody knows about it. Mm. People just help people in need and move on. Mm. And this is why it's such a great area and I always say to people, it's a little area that God forgot about because there's still good people here. And you don't, like people who move into this area are amazed, and you would be one of them Richard, yep. how the, um, the hand of friendship comes out. Yeah,
2: yep. quite amazing.
1: It's, uh, no, it's just a brilliant area to live in. Yeah. It's just, and we were fortunate that when we came up here in the 70s, early 70s, the old characters were still here. Yeah. Like you know, Bernie O'Connell, Chris O'Connell's, the um, Joe Ricardis, the Tom Whites.
3: Hockley.
1: Lionel Hockley, Leatherhead. This guy, when he drank a lot of beer, his head used to swell up. So he had two little slits for eyes. So when he was sober, his name was Lionel Hockley. When he got drunk and his head swelled up, we either called him Leatherhead or Hockley.
3: Some somebody, somebody used to call him the White Chinaman.
1: White Chinaman, Hockley. <laughs>
3: Get in, just interrupting you there about the long paddock. Yeah, mate. The reason why Greg couldn't sell the long paddock because I owned half the long paddock, but he never told you that.
1: I should have come to see you. you could have sold me your half. No,
3: uh, like we could, if he wanted to sell some, we could have come to compromise
1: yep. with other land, you know. He just wasn't interested. He said, no, no. Then when I sold out, he said, why didn't you buy the long paddock? I said, Greg, I've been mean, trying for 10 years. I didn't know you were serious. I was in the same boat because I wanted to get a... Yeah, but I wanted to buy it. You wanted to sell it. (laughs) No,
3: I didn't want to sell it, but I wanted... uh, He could have sold it. He could have sectioned off his his half, see? Yep. You know, and that would have worked out all right. He could have sold done what he liked with it, you know, which which he did do what he liked with it when it did get split up, you know. But that's the reason why he didn't... wouldn't sell it when you first come to him, but... Maybe later on when he had his half, he, he might have been keen to sell it to you, you know.
1: So. Well, I kept asking him and he just he just wasn't interested. But so we went down to uh, the, a game at Footscray. Greg was a mad, mad Footscray supporter. And uh, a dear friend of mine in Melbourne there, she was uh, in one of the top cateries at Footscray. So uh, she got me a top dog tie. So I gave Greg the top dog tie, see. So I'm taking him to football. He goes to the football in a three-piece suit with his, top dog, with his top dog tie on. So we've had a great day. And I said, Gregory, what do you want to do? He said, we've got to do a lot more drinking, but we've got to do it closer to home. And I said, Right, righto, what do you want to do? He said, what about we go and see Riccardi? And I said, righto, it's up to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. We go and see Joe. And I said, what do you want to do now, Greg? He said, let's go to the Pig and & Whistle and have a drink. I had a pretty hot car in him, Dave V8, really tickled up. So I jump on the CB. we get on the caller. what's he like over your shoulder, matey? Mate, nothing. So we're coming and we sit on 100, 105 mile an hour all the way home. We walk in the pub and Gregory says to Hockley, a little beer for me and a big beer for Mario." So Hockley puts the glasses up on the bar and Gregory takes a sip. He said, Hockley, me and the lad have just come back for a moment to hear in fifty minutes, and we weren't even racing. Here's another sip, only because we couldn't find anybody to race. <laughs>
2: but That was grindy. Oh, Bill, as I said, I want to come back to your family's connection with the pub. So, gather it goes back. Yeah. Right back.
3: Yeah, right back. Right
2: that there was an anniversary recently. One hundred and fifty years. So that's the original pub building on
3: this. Yeah. Side. Well, it's very much changed, you know, and added on and. If you peel back some of the plaster and you might find the old boards and Mm. the old uh, studs and that, but it was very much smaller and uh, was a weatherboard building and a lot of little rooms. Mm. Uh, So it's unrecognisable. I don't know whether the window in the front might be the only thing that probably recognise, you know. But I understand uh, there was a pub down at Newton's Lane, which is that lane going back towards Trentham down there. And it got amalgamated with this hotel, and it was known as the Pig and Whistle Hotel. And when they brought it up here, the owner, who was my great-grandfather, he called it the Clare Morris because he had connections with Ireland, and I don't know, Clare Morris might have been a place in Ireland. That was
1: a county that he came from. Uh,
3: Well, no, Clare is a county, yeah. Clare, County Clare. Yeah. So I don't know whether the Clare Morris...
1: There's a town, I think,
3: named Clare Morris in Ireland. I think that's the connection. Mm. Some people thought it might have been Morris from Clare, you know. Mm. It it could be, but it's pretty well unknown. His name
2: was... Morris. It was Morris. Yeah. That's a possibility. Yeah.
3: So they came here and they had the pub for a long, long time. They never ran it. I think they leased it out because I noticed on the uh, licensing, there's different people had it. But it wasn't until very late that he sold it, you know. And I understand he also had the blacksmith shop, which was next door over there. And uh, when he sold it, he, um, he sold the pub and uh, he never sold the blacksmith shop. So he only sold this bit here, see. But whatever mix-up they had and there was no lawyers or nothing, the people who bought it claimed the lot, and, and, and maybe they had a good case, I don't know. They wouldn't have paid for it, but it wouldn't have been much money changed, hands anyhow. And that, that's why, that small block up there where uh, Ellie lives, you know, Ellie yep. uh, mm-hmm. and Ellen, uh, that's right. And uh, that small block there was carved out of Rale's property on the other side of the road because when he wanted to claim the blacksmith shop as well, they didn't take kindly to that. So in the night time, they shifted the blacksmith shop across the road onto Ralph's side of the road. So when he came in the morning, the blacksmith shop was gone. They, he had the land, which wasn't worth much anyhow. So, and then the post office was also incorporated, re, re, run by my great-grandmother for many years. Uh, you know, the plug-in yeah. phones and that. You had, you, had to, you had to plug you into me or yeah. Mario. Young yeah, Maloney. Yeah, that was later on. That my grandmother sold to Katie Maloney later on, which was relation to Paddy McMinniman.
1: But Billy, when you when you say there wasn't a lot of money in them days, <coughs> back in '71 when we bought the first farm over here, we bought six, 60 acres, and 60 acres cost us $11,500. Yeah. In the same three-week period, old uh, the old White Russian. Uh, what's your name? Bondarenko? No, no, down here. The White Russian, um, Steve Jonas. Oh, yeah. He bought that 90 acres on the corner with a cream brick, brick veneer house for $38,000. Yeah. And Nielsen bought the pub here with 10 acres, it's before the house come in next door, with 10 acres for $38,000. So pub on 10 acres, 38 grand, 90 acres of beautiful red country with a new house on it, $38,000. And I bought the 60 acres down the bottom for $11,500. How yeah. times have changed.
3: Yeah, well, back in the olden days, you know, land was a bit of an embarrassment in some ways because you had to clear it and uh, there just wasn't that much money to be made on it. You'd get an existence, you know. It cost you more to
1: keep it tidy than what you could earn off it.
3: That's right. So... Uh, so that was the background of that and they raised, uh, the old great-grandfather raised about 10 or 12 kids and the grandfather also raised about. So there must have been money and beer initially, uh, a couple of And they spread out all over the place and a lot came back here that Sunday over... Uh, now
1: over give our favourite uh, barmaid a bit of a go. About 100, yeah. Give our favourite barmaid a bit of a rattle, go on.
3: Yeah, oh, my wife, she worked here for Hockley for a while. And, for a long time. Yeah. For Hockley pl-
1: couldn't control a ruffian, but... Hockley,
3: uh, Hockley, wanted, Hockley wanted to take over the pub in Trentham when he went from there, you know, but it, it wasn't really convenient, you know. Um,
1: I mean, it's it's The cat right. was good in the bar because they'd ugly with Hockley, but they wouldn't argue with they or, or with no, cat.
3: No, oh, no, I know. you enough, go home. <laughs> go home to your wife. You have to believe Nell, Hockley would whip off for a few days. We're, we're really casting a wild, wide net here, but Hockley would be there one minute and he say, I'm going to Kyneton, and he mightn't come back for two days and Nell, Nell would have to keep on operating the job on her own <laughs> with a bit of assistance. Oh, but
1: you weren't, there was no trading here of, uh, on Good Friday, public holidays or Sundays. and um, Officially. So after Mass on, uh, after mass on Sunday morning the uh, code to get through the door, scratch the window twice, and knock twice, so you come, you come into this little room here, and uh, same at about quarter to six, that opened the bar up for an hour, so you know, we'd get Hockley drunk, when it got to about quarter to seven, you knew the beer was going to go off at seven, so we keep tipping beer into Hockley, so by the time we got half a dozen quick pots, he'd be doing, yeah, we'll have another drink, and all of a sudden Nell had come up the, door, up the passageway there with the hair-in rollers and the dressing gown on, finish your beer and get out.
3: <laughs> and people took it. Nobody
1: argued with it. Yeah.
3: But to tell you a funny story about Hockley while you're on him, uh, uh, more about Nellie, see this Chris, he, they used to come in as marriages after church, which used to be, say, 9 o'clock or something, and, and they'd all wander in here, all the blokes on the way home, you know, especially if they had no... Wife, because if you had a wife, There's very it, few of them
1: did have an nanny. Th- that's right. Oh.
3: So they'd come in here, and, and Nell would feed them up with, you know, a big pot of soup, yeah, and, and something decent, and, and and probably little frangers and that. And and Chris was very very bloody, you know, he'd had plenty to drink. He was he was overimbibed too much, and anyhow, somebody got one of the little frangers. And Chris's fly was open and they, <laughs> they stuffed it in his fly and he's laying back in one of those big armchairs. <laughs> and anyhow, anyhow, Nell come in and she said, oh, she said, put that thing away, you dirty old b****. <laughs> and Chris hurriedly <laughs> went down and put the Savaloy back in its pouch. <laughs>
1: and this was when uh, one of the times that Chris and Nell used to, uh, Hockley and Nell used to have a blues. So uh, when they got to the point they were going to murder each other, she'd go down to her girlfriend's place. Pat Spurling, was it? Yeah, Pat, uh, Pat Kelly. She married Bill Spurling. Bill Spurling. So she'd go down to, uh, go down to Melbourne. So Noel uh, come home after one of, their, uh, one of their adventures. Lionel, I'm sorry, it's all my fault. No, dear, it's my fault. It was all my fault. No, Lionel, it's my fault. No, dear, it's my fault. Lionel says, what can I do for you, dear? Will you make me a cup of tea? Lionel says, not a problem. So Lionel goes out the back there and makes her a cup of tea. But unbeknown to her, Chris O'Connell and Pom O'Brien, they'd been half camping in the back of the pub with, uh, with Hockley and they had the hot dogs that he's talking about for tea every night and they boiled them in the kettle. So Hockley's put the water on that they've been boiling the hot dogs for a weekend and made Nell a cup of tea. <laughs> so he comes out with Not a cup of tea, covered. puts it there. She has one sip, takes one sip. You b****, you're trying to murder me. Gone again. <laughs> she wouldn't have been home a full 20 minutes since she was gone. Hockley, yeah. you b****, you're trying to poison me.
3: <laughs> I know, Hockley was a very bloody funny man, especially when he, he got a few beers because he didn't worry about the till too much. And, mm. and I was telling you about the mission the other day. Yeah. This was about Chris. He... he uh, He was always getting in the... He wasn't well-educated, but he was streetwise and he was uh, always in trouble with the tax. He'd never fill in his tax and then they'd get on to him and it was all cash and anyhow he went over to see Tim Byrne over Ballarat then to get it fixed up and he was a pretty high-qualified solicitor. So he'd get it fixed up and in the meantime he was at church and anyhow they had these uh, big envelopes where you could... Put in for the missions, and another wag around here put Chris's name down, fifty dollars a month. <laughs> Chris couldn't afford twenty. Anyhow, he come around and he said, and and then, then the the, the result come back that they wanted their fifty dollars off Chris, and uh, Chris Chris come in the Spad paddock and he said, I don't know what to make of things. He said if and he said, I got the F and. Bloody tax off me back. He said, now the missions are taken to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the same bloke, uh, this Hockley and Chris, uh, they're in the bar one night and Hockley was buying spuds. He's a spud merchant. He'd buy the spuds. We'd supply the transport to take them to Sydney or Brisbane markets. And he had Chris doing a bit of a legwork for him, going around the farms to see whether he had 50 bags, 100 bags. So Chris had a sister in Perth. So the phone that Hockley had let him use to uh, try and buy and sell spuds, he was using to ring his sister in Perth all the time. So him and Chris locked horns here one night. So uh, Chris turns out and the bar's full Friday night and he roars out to Hockley, Hockley, you're nothing but a horse trainer. You're an arsehole. I'm never coming back in your pub, ever. So he pushes his way through everybody, gets to the front door, pulls the front door open and he's got one leg out the door and Hockley says, Simon. That's another name I used to call him when I was serious. What? You're never, ever coming back in my pub again. Never, Hockley. You better have a drink before you go. All right, so he turned around, two o'clock in the morning, you're still in here drinking.
2: <laughs> Most of the patrons at the time would have been what? I mean, well, now before we get on to that, what was here, the pub, post office across the road,
3: yeah, yeah. Store across the road? The, no, just, well, the post ones. office was down there where there was only a small building where you got your mail. and. Right.
1: The, the front room of the house was virtually the post office. Right.
3: No, the, it was at the side. It was a small room. Small room, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's really all that was
3: here. And and when I went to school, there was a lolly shop over the road and used to sell a bit of groceries and that. But that petered out as time went on, you know. So
2: most of the places, there would have been some cattle, some sheep, as there are today? Or? Not
3: much. Too cold. Too cold. Mostly spuds most and, and cropping. Grew,
2: anything grew underground. So most of the patrons of the pub therefore, would have been the spud diggers or the... Yeah,
3: that's right. There'd be 100, 100 come every year. 100, at least 100, wouldn't there? Yeah,
1: but, but what, what happened here was, the, um, this was a big sawmill area. Mm. The biggest employer in the area was Tom White. He had the mill down here on Ashbourne Road, corner of Ashbourne Road and Chanters Lane. Mm-hmm. So, what happened? These guys picked spuds for four or five months of the year. Then they went, went to work for these timber mills. Mm-hmm. Um, Curly and uh, Curly, what was Curly's brother's name? Norm. Norm, Benny, yeah. Yeah, they said, uh, oh, they're at spuds um, down at Killy Rub. So, they put the horse and the dray and off they went. Didn't have a clue where Killy Rub was. No, it
3: could they have been up now. at Mildura. They
1: left here and they went to Killy Rub and a horse and dray. <laughs> there was a sort of a circuit, you might say.
3: They'd start down in uh, Thorpdale and then they'd uh, perhaps come up to Trentham. They might even go into Ballarat and then they'd go back to Warnable and pick spuds there. so that, that was what happened to a lot of them, you know. Cause they started of the,
1: start off at Geelong in that white country, my might call Yeah, company, yeah in the Port Maddox. Arlington. Yeah. yeah, Port Arlington, down that peninsula because yeah. they, they were the selling. Well, place. they
3: start off there at Christmas time. week before Christmas. And then yeah. they go to Warnable, Thorpdale. Yep. Uh, whichever point you started at, but that's where they'd start and go to Warner. Yeah,
1: Thorpdale used to always start about the third week in January. Yeah. And then uh, we used to start Easter up didn't we? Yeah, well,
3: Cooey were up Thorpedale and then back here at East Trentham and Trentham yeah. and then maybe they might even do some at Ballarat mm. and then they'd gradually have a month off or something, maybe using their resources. Mm. But we
1: had four spud merchants here. We had um, Hockley, Nolcow, Alec Robbie that everybody called chooks. Birdie Dunn was buying a few. So during the spud season, when you come in on Friday night, you had to drink in four schools because each of the merchants wouldn't drink with the other one. Mm. So they'd be all spread up. Well, a lot of animosity. Oh, mate, it was terrible. Then somebody would hear that, uh, Hockley would hear that uh, Tronion had spuds there and cowed offered him $105 a tonne. I won't tell you this till tomorrow, but I'll give you 115 for them, <laughs> and it was wasn't it? it was yeah, like going oh, yeah. Foga. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when spuds were scarce, yeah. they just keep bouncing off of each other. But it was it was great.
3: And and even getting back to Joe Riccardi, I'll tell a bit of a story. Uh, MacDermar <coughs> said he was a butcher, you know, pretty much a con man in a way, a nice fella, but and uh, he had the abattoirs up at Dalesford and. and uh, he also had the line below at one stage. And the butcher shop in Trentham, yeah, and yeah. the butcher shop in Woodend. Yeah, that's right. He was sort of an entrepreneurial person and very sharp, very sharp. You can imagine. Anyhow, I said, Joe said, what about you coming down and buying my, my, uh, have a look at my Bullocks and buying them. They're very good. And, and uh, Macca said, oh, I haven't got any time. He said, when you go to church, he said, call in on your way, he said, and, uh, and he said, oh, man, I haven't got time, Joe. Oh, you'll do it for a friend. All right. So he goes down after church and he, he's there and he's looking at him and he's saying, oh, a bit thin in the arse, you know. And What's his name? Joe said, well, I'll not take a penny less than $500, he said. Mm-hmm. And Macca said, oh, no, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't cut that out of him, he said. So they haggled away for a short while and Macca said, well, seeing you a friend and, and, and you're wasting my drinking time, I'll give you 500 So he gets up to the pub first and he said, I just bought some, some good stuff with Joe for 500 and they are worth 515 <laughs> Joe comes up and says, I just sprung Ma- Hockley uh, macker up. He said, I sprang him up to $500. <laughs> so they both won.
1: <laughs> Joe Riccardi came in the pub one Friday night. She had a fairly good glow on the face. And I said, what have you been doing, Joe? Yeah. I've just been over to Dominic Debenati's. He used to burn the charcoal. Yeah. Out of the bag of lime. He said he makes the best bull bores and the best plonk you've ever had. Right, so Hockley is there, so. And Hockley was a mongrel. If there was an opportunity somewhere, Hockley snapped on it. Oh, yeah. He said, I've, I've drunk the best plonk and eaten the best bull bores ever. So as the night goes on, Hockley comes out and he says to Riccardi, Riccardi. You reckon Dabonati's ball boars are the best ever? He said, yes, I do. A mate of mine called in today to give me some. He said, try these. So Joe's up at the bar and he always put his fingers in his overalls. He had a couple of fingers missing too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And he says, Hockley, I've got to give it to you. These ball boars are nearly as good as Dabonati's. So everybody goes home at 11 o'clock, up us, they're living that night. The next one, eight o'clock. Bang, bang, get big club fist on the door. Hockley. What? Some b- pinched me bull bores. <laughs> so Hockley turned around and Chris had a dog called, what, Spargo? Yeah. He says, I saw Chris O'Connell's dog running down the street. Well, they wrapped in newspaper. He said, they were. He said he pinched bull bores. He said, I'll kill that b**** and I'll kill Chris as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what they told you. La- I
3: told you last week, but you never had the, the, ra- the radio going. Chris was up in Trentham and he bought his weekend meat and a few sausages and a bit of steak perhaps and whatever. Not a very big parcel, but he left it on the front of the ute with, with the window down and, the, and Spargo to look after it. That was the dog's name. But Chris went in for one beer and he stayed about ten beers and a bloke came in to the hotel. This is the commercial hotel on top of the hill opposite the Church of England. And he said to Chris, he said, as, I see your dog over in the Church of England he's unwrapped a parcel and he's gone, Hammer and Tong's eaten something. Oh, the b- he's eat. he's probably taken my bloody, my bloody provisions. So he, he rushes out and he stands at the doorway and looks over and was the last morsel of the sausage going down the dog's throat. So he cursed and sweared a bit and he went back and he picked up his beer and he was still drinking, He continued to drink. And anyhow, the bloke said to him, well, what happened, Chris? What would you do to the dog? He said, I did nothing. He said, I didn't mind him eating meat on Friday, but he said, I didn't want him changing his religion. <laughs> I got one about the, the father and the Greg went over to uh, Ballarat to Myers. They were machinery makers in, uh, I think they were in, uh, on the edge of Ballarat. Anyhow. <clears throat> but anyhow, the old man was doing the driving and Greg was doing the, you know, asking the people. And he said, he was asking me, he said, Several times he stopped and he was asking people, Where's water street? He said, No, never heard of never heard of Water Street. So they went about half an hour looking round streets, there's no Water Street anywhere, and they come to a bloke and and he was a bit more intelligent <laughs> and he said, You mean Water Street, do you? Oh, that could be the street, and sure enough there was miles in Water Street. <laughs> but he had he had a, a bad habit of uh, mangling the woods, uh, Greg, and he and Mario tell you that too.
1: Uh, he'd say... Uh, Couldn't say Mario, he used to say Merio. Merio. How
3: yeah. are you, Merio? Yeah, but he used to say, the spuds grew out of all proportion. He meant all proportion, of course. You knew what he meant.
1: You knew what he meant, yeah.
3: And... And the hospital was full to captivity. Obviously, <laughs> there, was a, there was a shortfall of beds. <laughs> yeah, he meant capacity, of course.
1: But there was about, There would have been about twenty of these guys, all the same age, mm. and all characters like Bernie O'Connor lived down the bottom here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was. You feel Bernie? Uh, he's a bit of a character. I came in here one one Thursday night, and there was only two blokes in the bar, two locals, Sandy and um, and Bernie, and it's it. Playing two thugs from Kiton. pool. And they'd gone double or nothing, double or nothing. So they owed Chris and they owed Bernie and uh, Sandy $20 each. And these blokes were getting aggressive. So I just happened to come in and bought a beer and these blokes were getting nasty. And I said, fellas, why did you just finish your beer, pay your bill, f*** off. So one thing leads to another and some furniture fell over. And these blokes paid their bill and they left. So... About 20 minutes later, Bernie comes up. She's still got the, the uh, navy overcoat on. She throws the shoulders back and he said, we showed them. <laughs> so it's time to leave. Bernie goes outside the pub. Next minute the door flies open and Bernie comes back in. They pinched me bike. <laughs> 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 they threw his bike over the hedge. But the same bloke lived just down the road here and uh, they're in the pub here one night. Corrie goes home early, so Bernie stays late. Hockley says... By like Christ, Bernie, there's a foot of snow outside. I know Lionel. He said, when you're ready, I'll drive you home. He said, and I've got the bike. He said, don't worry about the bike. He said, I'm gonna drive you home. So Hockley drives him home at past 11. The next morning, Hockley's washing the snow off the front of the pub. And there's Amy, Mamie, Curry, and Bernie riding their bikes home from church. So when they pull up outside the pub here, Hockley says to Bernie, by Christ, Bernie, you got up early this morning to get the bike. Oh, no, Lonely set up, you dropped me off last night. I walked back and got it. Yeah,
3: I told you about it. <laughs> yes.
1: And did you tell anyone about the windows?
3: Oh, yes. uh, Any? yeah, but it's not on the thing.
1: Not. Well, what happened, Bernie, uh, when uh, Curry died, he left a few dollars for the, the girls. So the girls wanted an extension put on the back of the, uh, on the house. So Ray Thompson was a local builder and he lived directly opposite Bernie. So he comes in here one Friday night and he said, Bernie, I've got the plans for the extension. Oh, that'll be nice. So he rolls the uh, plans out and he said, now we're gonna put a new room there. We'll put a living room there. They go through it and he says, great. Now, Bernie, he said the extensions are facing north. He said about the winters, do you want wood or aluminum? Bernie talked about it for a while and he said, oh no, we'd like the girls to see it, we'll have glass. <laughs> well, the whole pub erupted and Bernie just couldn't work out why everybody was laughing. Yeah. Oh no, we'll have glass.
3: <laughs> he's a very uh, very serious man ah. there's no worries about that he uh, as I told you,' straight as an arrow. but he was if he got something fixed in his mind Forget it, it wouldn't uh, he wouldn't pull You'd it change it. it he'd never get it plough it out, yeah. as he said this particular night, Hockley used just there a political debate. He didn't care if he very for the Greens or the Communists, or whoever, Hockley, if he got on the, He'd be on the side where there wasn't many people, see? And this particular night he was talking away and, and the Labour Party were having a bit of a trouble with the Communists at the time and uh, they were telling Bernie this, that uh, the Labour Party had a few too many Communists in the party, you know, and Bernie saying, no, no, they're all good men. And uh, anyhow... They were getting on top of Bernie. Bernie sort of couldn't answer this question in the end. He, he was backing away and, and, he, and he thought, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna end this. He said, anyhow, Menzies was a communist. Well, that finished the debate altogether because anybody who thought Menzies was a communist, was, like there's no good arguing
1: the point with them, you know, John Wymer, um, he sort of incorporated the North Melbourne football team into this area. Uh, once a year, we'd have the whole committee up here, Barassi, Aylett, Ronnie Josephs, Dundale. all all them, the footballers and all in will all camp out at uh, Wyners. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> one year they brought Ron Lee with them. Do you remember Ron Lee? No. no. In no. Melbourne tonight? He had a magnificent singing voice. So we're all in his room here and Ron Lee's standing up there and he sings, Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the paves. So Bernie, Bernie's got the uh, blue naval overcoat on. She's in the front row. And this place got a magnificent voice, like he's a professional singer. The pipes, a pipe. And all of a sudden, Bernie, up out of the stirrups, and he said, if you don't be knowing the words, don't be singing the song. He left the word out. <laughs> <laughs> so Bernie's got the... <laughs> Bernie's Bernie's... Uh, Bernie's, Bernie's favourite song. Yeah. Bernie's song, you know. And but again, Ber- just... Bernie, she got the tears running down the eyes as he singing it with him. And all of a sudden, she's straight up out of the stirrups. If you don't be knowing the words, don't be singing the song.
3: <laughs> and Probably <and laughs>
1: Bur- said to his lady,
3: And Bernie was that serious.
1: Mate, when he was serious, he was serious.
3: Yeah, he was that serious when he was singing this song that you daren't laugh or bloody, you know, take the mickey out of it. But he was very, very serious. Bernie probably would have been
1: the first of the early model greenies up here. Like when he went out to pick his wood up out of the bush, if it was wet, he'd only go out with a sleet. Wouldn't take anything with wheels on it. Mm -hmm. His old stallion, Mm Jacko, uh, he'd go out his side. He'd cut logs. He'd cut logs, then he'd side load them, Put a couple of stirrups down and drag the logs up on to the dray. Tom White's—he's uh, falling for Tom White <laughs> at the time—and um, there's no logs coming in the mill, so Hockley goes around there, and Bernie's got this massive log that he's trying to side load. So Tom goes up. He said, "Bernie, hold up, Bernie. Hello, Mr. White." He said, I'll go and get a chainsaw, we'll cut it in half. Said, Indeed we won't, Mr White, we fell it in one piece, we'll load it in one piece. It's going in the mill to be cut into a thousand pieces. But Bernie fell it in one piece? We're going to load it in one piece. It'd
3: be no good to tell him. See, there were about five brothers yeah. and they were all different. They're
1: all they were all hard men.
3: They didn't always get along together. Mm. There was Stan and, and Jared, who was Jilly and uh, Pod and Bernie and Corrie.
1: Corrie was Tom. Well, he's, I mean,
2: Bernie's featured in numerous stories today and on the previous session we had, so he obviously...
3: Oh, he was he, a, big he big a serious character, yeah. but the fact that he was so serious it made his, made his uh, life very interesting for yeah. other people. I'll know? give you an
1: idea how serious he was. There's no logs coming in the mill. So Tom goes looking for him, and he pulls in the homestead down here, and there's a windlass and a hole. 30 foot straight down, hello in the hole, hello Mr White, what are you doing Corrie? Well up until five minutes ago Mr White, he said we were digging a bloody big well, he said we've hit clay, so he said we've dug a bloody big hole. So Bernie turns up, because they're pulling it up in the bucket, into the back of a dray and Bernie had taken it down with Jack down the paddock and unload it, come back at the next load and Tom said to Bernie, well what are you going to do now Bernie? Well, Mr. Waite, if we move 10 foot over there and dig another hole, what we take over there will fill this hole and we might find a well. <laughs> but look, that was the mentality, like there was no, there was no, you can't do it. Yeah. And, and Bernie was the last of the horse whisperers. You get the wildest horse, couldn't you Bill? Yeah, the wildest well. horse that no, the vets couldn't get near. Yeah. As soon as Bernie got a hand on the horse, now what are you doing? Come on, now what are you being so stupid for? And he talked to the horses. And he'd say, right, it's got a pinched nerve or... Mm. But when we lived over here, Joan came in the dining room and she said, Murray, there's somebody in the front paddock. I said, it can't be, it's snowing. So I went and got my gun and put my gun out the window and put the scope on him. And there's Bernie, she's ferreting. So I jump on the tractor, I go down there, and there's Bernie. There's, there's Jacko with a sled, they got a load of wood on it, his dog, and there's Bernie. And the ferret's got Bernie by the end of the finger and it's chewing up his finger. And the blood running down his hand to Bernie saying, Now look here, Ferrin, what are you biting Bernie for? Bernie's your friend. <laughs> like you know, these are not stories, these these are actual. Yeah.
3: another situation was he he had marvelous health all his life. I don't know whether it was all the beer he drank and preserved him good, but he got very crook near the end. <coughs> and when he got very crook, he shifted outside. And if you'd saw, like an old sulky or an old dray, he put stretched bags across that and he lay down there and, and put a few blankets over him in the shed, open shed. And of course, when the fog come in, it put all mist on his eyes, you know, on his uh, eyebrows. And I said, what are you doing here, Bernie? Uh, wouldn't it be better if you was inside? You'll get pneumonia out here. No. All my family died outside and I'm going to die outside, he said. If <laughs> you'd have you saw him in the
2: shaves. Huh? So the, the accent, obviously, he was, was he born here?
1: Born here, never shifted out of no, the area, no had the greatest no. brogue. No. But the same bloke, never married, don't think he had much to do with female company, but he got shot into chitin, appendicitis. So Sister Ramsdale, she was an ex-army nurse, She's looking after Bernie, see, so she's got to shave the privates for the operation. So in she comes, back with the blankets, lathers the uh, ball bag up, and old Bernie's laying there, and he looks up and he says to her, if you can control yourself, I'll try.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I got one on myself. I don't like to be bagging other people all the time and leave myself out. Uh, when, when we lived up, up the corner when I first got married, he lived
1: on Dog's Corner, yeah, right yeah. on Dog's Corner.
3: It was the old place, buggered now, but it wasn't too bad. It was in. It was livable. Yeah. Desi O'Brien used to live there, there, and he was a character of the First Order too, Desi. I can tell you a story about Desi later, but...
1: The bloke they referred to as the pom, mm. that's Desi, Desi O'Brien. Yeah.
3: There was, they were all somewhat connected, yeah. but John up in Drentham's not connected.
2: Right.
3: But any case... Uh, like, I used to be running around to all these meetings, cricket meetings, I'd rush out of the paddock and i think oh, I've got half an hour to get to the bloody cricket meeting up at Dalesford, so I'd be really in a lather of sweat to get there, and I'd have a quick dad and Dave, and, and uh, the old chip bath eater wasn't working that well, you had to set it going pretty early to warm the water, and, and it only becomes sort of lukewarm, and the missus used to put a boiler on the stove, you know, and that was good. And, so I raced in and I used to be very appreciative of this boil and I, I tipped it into the bath really quick and to my astonishment there was carrots and bloody celery. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it was the most healthiest bath I ever had because <laughs> it was all healthy, good green tucker.
1: But there was another old fellow we haven't touched on, Leo Walsh. Oh, Leo, yeah. He lived up on the Golden Mile. Mm. And Lyle was always, he was always a uh, bit of a joke, bit of a joke. The hungry mile. I uh, was like, oh, my, do. do? He comes in and he said, dah, dah, I've got to tell you something. Well, you don't have to, buddy, but uh, be- better I tell you than somebody else tell you. So what's wrong? He said, I've got a bad back, real bad back. So he said, I went to the chemist shop. And he said, I bought some Dinka rub. And he said, and I bought some toothpaste. But he said, I went to the pub on the way home. And he said, my back was pretty crooked by the time I got home. So he said, I rubbed it all on my back. And he said didn't make any difference at all. Then I cleaned my teeth and it tasted like shit. <laughs> she put the toothpaste on his back and she cleaned the teeth with a dinker rub. Yeah,
3: he done the same thing up at the bowls. He bought, uh, you know, that stuff you put on your hands to make a grip on the bowls and then the sun's pretty bright so he, he's got this stuff with your, you know, sunburn cream. So he, he rubbed the the sticky stuff on his face, you know, and then he, when he got out on the green, the bowl slipped out of his hand, and he couldn't understand why he'd put the sunburned green on him. <laughs> but he was a really character too, and yet there was another character down here, Stan, wasn't he? Stan Booty. Stan
1: yeah. Booty, Stan Booty coming here one night, and Lance was as good as anybody to get the last dollar out of wallet. So Stanley comes in this night, and I'll hop. Here's uh, Lancey waiting for him. Be a Stanley? Nope. Bottle of beer, Stanley, to drink on your way home. Nope. Bottle of brandy for your sick calf. Because he used to always come in and say he had a sick calf. Buy a bottle of brandy to go down and sit in the shed and drink it. Nope. And he keeps pushing, anything you want to buy to take away. Lance Westcott, I'm here to use your light and your carpet, not to make you money. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh no, he bloody cunning. We're
1: getting back to Bernie and Curry again. That come in, pollution. Pollution was the flavour of the month. They would not drink polluted beer. Now polluted beer meant if it came out of the fridge, it was no good, it had been polluted. So Hockley would have to have a a carton of Ace Lager. Do you remember the Ace Lager? You mightn't remember it coming up at Canberra. Soon as they walked in, he'd have to put four bottles of Ace Lager up on the bar so they could visually see the beer come out of a carton that hadn't been in the fridge. And then they drink beer straight out of the tap. They come straight out. But that's different. That's in the bottle. It can be polluted. So they'd leave here on their bikes and they'd knock the top off one when they left here and they'd lean on their bikes and push their bikes all the way home and drink a bottle between here and the smithy shop. Then they'd go in the smithy shop and they'd flip the top off out through the window and they'd drink the other one in the smithy shop because the girls wouldn't let them in the house with grog. Over the years there was a stack that high of bottle-tops outside the smithy shop.
3: (laughs) And they'd have another one what they'd lower down the well, that was the fridge. And a couple of times the the rope broke, which was a disaster. But getting back to Stanley... Yeah, but hang on,
1: talk about these two guys. These two brothers had a fight 40 years ago, an argument, and never spoke for 40 years. Drank together here, alongside each other in the same school, never spoke. If he went down, Hockley went into the smithy shop one day and they both got a long neck and uh, Hockley says to Bernie, it's a bit dry, dry argument, mate. Bernie looks across and he said, well, my well's dry but you might ask that other chappy. And he's two foot from me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They're riding the, I'll get back onto Bernie and Corrie, they're riding the bike, the bike's home in a very bad fog one night and they in a very steady gait they had, which was almost... They'd get round two seconds to turn the wheels, more or less. So one brother took off a bit early and he got down to the end of the road and he woke up that he'd gone too far. He'd passed his property. It was that foggy and dark. So he was riding back. The other brother came along and he'd also missed the gate. And uh, he said, ''You're going too far.'' And the other brother said, "No, I'm not." And he rode down to the corner. And... <laughs> <laughs> and getting back to Stanley, we used to cut wood for Windaring. Yeah, it's a it's a place uh, disabled people. Oh, people came. Right. Well, not it's it's for handicapped people. Handicapped, right? that's right. And we used to go out to this Ted Knight's group of us from the Marris Brothers' old boys and cut up this wood. Uh, it was big big job. We drank a bit of beer more than we cut wood, I think. But anyhow, we'd get this wood and Stanley had come wanting to buy some. You know, he might come and dock off when we're cutting it up with the saw branch. But then he wouldn't pay. I had a hell of a job to get the money out of him, see. Most people would pay, but the war with Stanley would be on the books, no pay. So they said to Stanley, why don't you pay Stanley? He'd come and pick the best wood out, what, what you never had to split or nothing, and he'd put that in his trail and he'd take it. And Peter Law, he's a bit of a character in Kite, and he said, Stanley, why won't you pay for your wood? Well, he said, it's like this. He said, when you buy my spuds, you eat them before you pay for them. And, and he said, I'm buying your wood, and he said, I'm going to burn it before they pay for it.
1: <laughs> but the same bloke 40 years ago... He was my next-door neighbour down, down the road here. So we signed up for the place on the, um, we paid for the place on the Friday. So we come up on Sunday, brand new farm, $11,500, all the money in the world. And we turn into Gleeds Lane and there's all these cattle in Gleeds Lane. And I said to Jones, somebody's left the gate open. I said, you drive the car, go right around the block, bring them back up and we'll put them back in the gate. So, two hours later, we've got all these cattle back on this property. We've closed the gate. Just finished closing the gate, and up pulls this old in an old uh, grey falcon ute. What do you think you're doing? Mate, somebody left the gate open. All the cattle out of it. It's taken me two hours to put them back in. It took me two hours to get them out. <laughs> and I thought, where does this bloke live? He's my next door neighbour. <laughs> Oh,
3: no, he's a funny guy, really.
1: But mate, I've got, to, I've got to tell one story about chooks. Alec Robbie was probably bought more more spuds in Trentham than uh, most people because he bought from Macbeth. Bill Osborne in Sydney, he, uh, he said to me one day, he said, mate, he said me shed. I said, yep. He said, can we concrete the shed? I said, mate, not a problem. He said, when? I said, well, dig it out next Saturday and we'll pour it Saturday after. He said, great. So we go up the next Saturday and we uh, dig it out, form it all up, go back the second Saturday, we do it all. Now his daughter was rushed to Melbourne to get her appendix out. So Alice was his wife's name, wasn't yeah,
3: it? Yeah, Alice, you just died. She died a couple of weeks ago, yeah. yeah. See
1: that? And um, Alice cooked us a beautiful lunch and she said, how much more you got to do? I said, it's just going to go off a bit by about half past two three o'clock we'll trail it off and it'll be good. So we got it all finished and uh, Hockley, used to, um, Robbie used to always call his Mrs. Dear. Well dear, we're going to the hospital tonight to see Bubs. He said, I'll just take Mario and the others up to the pub and we'll just have a quick beer, then I'll be home for <laughs> a quick bite to eat <laughs> oh, and insane. away we'll go. <laughs> so we get up to the pub and we start telling stories and things that happen in little country pubs. This is the Trentham pub.
2: Yeah.
1: So we're drinking away, drinking away and the phone rings. It's Ellis. Alec, you're coming home, dinner's ready and I'll run you a bath. Yes, dear, I'll just finish this and I'll come straight home. So at about half past five, quarter to six, I said, Chooks, you better go home, she'll kill you. But I don't really want to leave. And I said, mate, you don't have a choice. You've got to go home and go and see your daughter. So Hockley, uh, Robbie goes home, has a bath, has dinner, says to his wife, I'm exhausted, I worked that hard today, would you mind driving? She said, not at all, dear. So Chooks jumps in the passenger seat, they go to Melbourne, car pulls up, Robbie Turner and says, well, are we there already? No, Alex, we've been to Melbourne, we've been to see our daughter we've just pulled up in the drive on the way home.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now I can imagine he would be in no condition to drive, you know. Yeah. But I oh, know,
1: look, as I say, there are only a few the little stories you can tell because there's a million of them.
3: But yeah. uh, another one, I uh, might tell about myself, but I told you the other day. Uh, I went to Melbourne to the football by, by the train and I left the car at Wood End and then when I got down to Melbourne I saw my son and he said, I'm going up. He said, you can get a ride right up with me. So we were talking away and we sailed past Wood End. We got home and there's no car in the garage and I thought, I thought to myself, the missus must have had a stack or I was getting pretty agitated. I went in and I said, what did you do with the car? She said... You ought to know, you drove it down to Woodend when you were going to the football. (laughs) So I had to
1: hightail it back
3: down to Woodend and get the car.
1: (laughs) When Keo's son got married, Billy Billy was MC at the wedding. Mm -hmm. So when Billy does everything, he does everything right. Like he writes everything down in longhand. So when he gets up to make his speech or welcome somebody, he reads everything. He's got it down to the fine detail. So he gets up and he goes through page one, page two. Then he decides to freelance a little bit. So she looks up and he talks and in the meantime, the wind blows the page back. So when she fires up again, she starts at the top of the page that he just finished. But, but,
3: uh, yeah. but what happened that particular day was rather funny in a way, because when I started off, the microphone obviously wasn't working and the people down the back couldn't hear. So I had to really start again. And that that caused a bit of confusion. But then
1: we wrecked him because um, we were the, uh, the diggers and the self were the last people invited. So we were right down the yeah, back, right. right down the back of the hall and they had the church pews for us to sit on. Mm. And uh, somebody come along and said, slide along, there's a couple more people. So as we did, Robbie got a splinter that long, stuck in his bum and so did I. <laughs> so here we are out in the foyer dropping our dacks trying, trying, and Billy's trying to give his speech. Yeah this didn't help <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, that but, but down at the school there when I was going to school there was an incident that's worth reporting too because we used to always have religious instructions you know it wasn't a long period but it was a basic biblical stories and this sort of thing and anyhow the inspector was coming you know and that was a bit horrendous when the inspector was coming because you're supposed to know you.
1: He was the examiner wasn't he?
3: Yeah he was an examiner and You know, it was a bit of a downgrade for the school of some duds in the class. So she said to this kid, she said uh, a pretty laminate sort of uh, elementary question. She said, who made the world, John? John, he he was stuffed. He couldn't think who made the world. But anyhow, the bloke bloke behind him stuck his compass into his bottom and and he said, oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) She said... She said, yes, that's right, John, but say it a little bit more reverently next time.
1: <laughs> but it's the same as the Dickos. All the Dickos yeah. started, when they started their, uh, their careers, uh, as time went on, they all come to work for us. Um, and young Bob in, uh, in Kiton as well. And uh, Alan Dickerson got married. And the reception was at the Mechanics Hall in Trentham. And at the time, Robbie had a WB Holden Ute. And we come out of the reception at about half past 12, and Robbie walks over to his car and says, my car's been rolled. I said, don't no, be silly, that's where you parked it. He said, I'm telling you, my car's been rolled. So we go for a walk down the bottom, the hill, and there's all his tools that are in the back, laying in the middle of the road. Young Bob and Neil Matheson decided that Robbie was too drunk to drive home, so they'd take the car home. So they went for a ride around the block and rolled it right outside the hall, went right over, landed back on its wheel, so they parked it where they pinched it from.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then Alan and uh, Julie get in the car and they head off to Scotty, young Scotty. He had the motel over at Ballarat. Warren. Warren, Scott. Yeah. And they were spending their honeymoon yeah. the first night there. Yeah. So uh, they're driving up past where the tip is now and um, Ellen, Sona, Julie... I can't see. The fog's that heavy, I can't see. Well that one was understandable because we painted the headlights out. And we get down near the, we, we get down near the tip and uh, Robbie's hiding behind the seat. So here's Al here's telling Julie how much he loves and what he's going to do to her. And all of a sudden, Robbie goes, Al, you better pull up and let me out here. Al says, Geez, you're my twin brother, but this is bullshit. So he throws, uh, he throws Robbie out, see, by the tip. So he goes another 50 yards and I said, "Oh, you better pull up and let me <laughs> out too. He said, how many more of you in the back? Uh, so that, that's how our friendship with him goes back that yeah, far. You yeah.
2: know. Look, I think we should stop, that's fantastic. That's great, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna, take,
1: I'm gonna take my car home so I can uh, come back and drink. Yes, yes, well it is almost that time.
2: I didn't put a date on this at the beginning, but I think we probably know that it's the 3rd of September.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, And thank you very much. And we will do more if... um... Mate, any time you want to look, there's a million stories. See, people think they're stories, but they're not stories.
0: You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill, and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and the Podbean app. Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs at trentham.org or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more archived treasures.